Well, good evening, everyone. It feels like I missed everyone. Let me try that again. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's good to see you all this evening. Um, it's also, I'm glad to have an opportunity to be back bringing God's word to us all. Um, and I do trust that God would really speak to us tonight. Um, as you are aware, uh, we have just finished the series in First Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul uh, came and challenged us or he encouraged the church about their work of faith. He encouraged them about their labor of love. And then he also challenged them uh, about their steadfastness of hope in Christ. Uh, tonight we start a new series and we go to the next letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to the church at, Thessalon at Thessalonica. And we're looking at Second Thessalonians. Now you'll notice as we go through this series that, that Paul is going to cover a lot of the same ground that he covered in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, he's going to cover the same ideas um, and he's just going to clarify uh, excuse me, on, on one or two of these ideas. But I do want to say that, that as you come Sunday by Sunday and you listen through these different ideas that, that are similar, that the apostle has already gone through in his first letter that we're going to go through again, I want you to know that it's a good thing. Don't zone out when you're listening and you hear the preaching like, yeah, I heard that in First Thessalonians. Because we are people that are slow to learn. Because we're sinful people, we are people that often need to be reminded of what God has told us to do. We need to be reminded of God's truth. And we need to be reminded that it is God himself who will help us to grow as we grow in the knowledge of his truth. Now, Paul, as he's writing this letter, uh, he receives some word that the, the, the church in Thessalonica has been left confused. He has written this first letter to the church, and, and now he, he hears that, that, that his teaching on the last day, or, or on, on the day of the Lord, has left the saints confused, and, and some of them were even worried. What had happened um, as, as Paul had finished writing this letter and as it was circulated around the church, some started to wonder, have we missed the day of the Lord? And, and obviously now when there's, when there's all this anxiety, false teachers, were, 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 they saw prey, they saw people who were wondering, people who were vulnerable, and these false teachers come in and they continue to deceive them. They convince them that, hey, you are right, the day of the Lord has come and gone, and like that famous movie a long time ago, you've been left behind. So the church is confused, they're worried, others were deeply distressed. They received Paul's letter, they received Paul's letter when he was saying, hey, remain steadfast in the hope in Christ, but now their persecution continued. Not only did persecution continue, but it also increased. Now the church was wondering if our hope is in Christ and our persecution is increasing and Christ has come back, where's our hope? So Paul pins this letter. And the last thing he's going to talk about in this letter is there were others in the church who remained idle. They refused to do any work. They, they just stayed back and they became a burden to the saints at Thessalonica. And we'll see in chapter 3 of this letter that Paul is going to warn them specifically about idleness. 
Now, again, I want us to note as we start this letter that Paul, again, is going to bring pastoral comfort. Paul is going to write this letter knowing that his audience is an anxious people. But he's going to teach them again that the only hope we have is in the coming Christ. Even in the midst of much persecution, he's going to point them to Jesus. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, if you're not already there. And tonight we'll start with chapter 1. So that is 2 Thessalonians. And tonight we'll start with chapter 1. And it reads, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for, for you sorry, for your steadfastness and faith in all persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, tonight I do pray, as we've already sung, that God, you would open the eyes of our hearts, that God, we would see you, and I pray, God, that as we see you and be, behold a, a sense of your glory, that, God, you would reveal our sinfulness, that we too can respond like Isaiah and say, God, we are a people of unclean lips. So, God, I do pray that you would forgive us of all our sins. And, God, if we do have any sin that is a barrier in our fellowship tonight, if we do have sin that is hindering us from fully worshiping you and expressing our adoration for you tonight, God, I pray that you'd help us to put it to death as we worship you in song. And God, even as we worship you through the listening of your word, God, I pray even as I speak as a preacher or as a herald of your word that, God, I myself would speak from a heart that has been forgiven by you, a heart, Lord, that has been made clean. And I pray, Father, that I wouldn't have my own agenda, 
but that, God, I would speak that which you have granted me to. So, God, won't you, by your Spirit, do a great work in all of our hearts. Challenge us, Lord, of our sins. Encourage us of the fact that Jesus is coming back and would help us to endure as we live in this present evil age. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I'd like us to consider tonight is a prayer of thanks for growing Christians. A prayer of thanks for growing Christians. We see the Apostle Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Now, being a, a friend of Isaac means I have to listen to all his stories about Levi. Uh, I remember when Levi was still young, Isaac would show me random pictures and videos of baby Levi. Uh, I remember he used to be fascinated by little things, and he would come so excited and say, Chabu, Chabu, look what he did, and I'd just be like, eh, <laughs> looks nice. <laughs> You see, the, the, the thing was, he, he was fascinated as he was watching his son grow. And, and as they were watching him grow in his personality and, and growing in learning to do things, he was excited as a dad. You probably went up to Isaac or Melissa and said, Wow, Levi, sure, he's growing, hey! Everybody seems to say that to children because we celebrate and give thanks for the growth of children. We celebrate their first step. We celebrate their first words. We celebrate them showing personality. And we also laugh and, and celebrate the funny faces they make when you give them a lemon. Now, what Paul was saying here was, he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. He says, this is an obligation. This, this must be something that is present among us. He goes on to say, as is right. Why? Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul seems to celebrate the growth of the believers. He gives thanks to God for their love for him and for the love that they had for one another. And it says there that their love for one another was increasing. Another reason why Paul was so happy was that this church is growing in their faith even in the midst of severe persecution. Their faith didn't diminish. Their faith didn't regress between these two letters. So as he starts this letter, his heart is filled with joy that God has kept them. So it is fitting for me to say tonight, as Paul has said, that it is right for me to be grateful to God for the faith and the love that is present in this community here at Central. I want to take a moment tonight and stop and say, God, thank you for what you're doing here tonight. Yes, we've had our difficult patches like any family, but I praise God for the fact that there are many in this room tonight, there are many here at Central who are growing in their faith. There are many who are actively seeking to love those in their community. There are many who are looking to get involved. There are many who are asking, Pastor, help me grow in my faith. And tonight I want to say, I thank God for you. And as the Apostle Paul said in the previous letter, don't grow weary. As you are growing, 
please grow more and more. See, showing gratitude to God for the growth of other believers is, is an obligation that, that is growing less frequent. It is, it is an obligation that we frequently forget. And unfortunately, we are more vocal when we see believers fall. Unfortunately, we are swift to point out the failures or the blind spots that we see in our other brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. But rarely do we stop and say, man, God, thank you for the growth of the members at Central. And I'm not even talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about God. God, thank you that, that as I watch this believer, man, he is growing in his love for you. God, thank you for this believer who's just loving me with the love that's from you. When last did you do that? Paul says that this must be something that he felt that he ought to do. And he says he ought always to do for it is right. May this be true of us. Church, we need to learn to not only give thanks to God when he shows us favor, but we need to give thanks to God and be grateful for his faithful hand in the lives of others. The welfare of those within the household of faith must be of great importance to us. We heard this morning that, hey, we, we're not just a, a social club or a religious club or, or just people that got together to sing nice songs. No, we are family. So it must matter how we are doing. Calvin would say, I think I have it up there, if we consider the nature and sacredness of the unity of Christ's body, such a mutual fellowship will have place among us that we will consider the benefits granted upon us and an individual member as gain to the whole church. Hence, in exalting God's benefits, we must always have an eye to the body of the church. Paul, even in his exhortation to the rich in 1 Timothy, he says, hey, God has given you so much because God has an eye on the body. As God blesses you, he blesses you so you can be a blessing to the rest of the body. But Paul goes on to say he, he boasts about the Lord's work in the church. We see, he says there, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. You see, Paul boasting in the Thessalonians, Paul is essentially boasting in God. Because he knew that it was a work of God that was working amongst the Thessalonians. The faithfulness of the Thessalonians, the endurance of the Thessalonians was just evidence of God's work in their lives. If we here at Central endure the persecution of the world, if we as young people endure the circular age and stand for Christ, it's not because of our own doing, but it is a byproduct of our faith in Christ. See, the more anyone grows in faith, he will endure more with patience. He will endure all things with strength and courage. But on the other hand, Softness and impatience under adversary portray unbelief on our part. Now Paul moves on 
and gives us uh, what, what should be the believer's source of hope and encouragement when they face persecution. So my next point tonight is an encouragement for the suffering. An encouragement for the suffering. Verse 5 says this, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also, which you are also suffering. I could really wrap up this section of the sermon or even this, this whole sermon with one sentence. And it is that the hope of the Christian is not that his persecution is going to end in this age, but that Jesus is coming. The hope of the Christian is not that his persecution will end in this age, but that Jesus is coming. You see, again, Paul is writing to a church who are receiving one blow after another. Paul is writing to a church who are suffering, and their suffering is increasing. But notice, he doesn't say to them, Church at Thessalonica, do not worry, for your suffering will end today or it will end tomorrow. But instead, he says, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, justice. The righteous judgment of God must be the comfort for the saint. Now, you probably heard in the news a few weeks ago, in fact, I read it on the news, um, and it's about the forensic science laboratories of South Africa. Let me read to you what the article said. So this is from the for National Forensic Science Laboratories, and it says that they have fallen far back in their processing of DNA from rape cases or various other crimes. It was actually found that the police commissioner learned by chance that the forensic science laboratory, laboratories has not done any processing of DNA during January and February. The backlog is now 172,000 cases. DNA processing capabilities has catastrophic consequences for the criminal justice system. Thousands of violent criminals are being let loose on the streets to torment their victims and commit new crimes. Murderers and rapists have been given a license to commit violent crimes without impunity by this incapable state institution with a DNA backlog fast approaching 200,000 cases. That's our justice system. Even our criminal justice system cannot guarantee us justice. Our government, whoever is sitting on that government seat, cannot guarantee us justice. So then, church, where is our hope? Will we ever see justice in our time? I have to answer yes. God will bring about justice in part, but not in whole. We will not fully see the hand of justice yet, but he will bring about full justice in the day of the Lord. Church, be encouraged that our hope 
is in Jesus. He is the just judge. He is our avenger. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the king of kings. He is the God all-glorious, infinitely omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. Our, our hope does not lie in sinful men, but our hope lies in a holy God. So Paul would go on then to outline why our suffering is a sign of God's righteous judgment. See, if we will not see full justice today, it means you are guaranteed to suffer. You are guaranteed to suffer, and we've seen from God's word, you may suffer even to the point of death. For we do live in a world that is evil. We do live in an evil age, and that's why, believer, my challenge to you tonight is keep your head fixed on heaven, for that is where your citizenship lies. In this age, darkness seems to reign, but be encouraged that it only reigns for a while. But Jesus is coming. So as Paul outlines why our suffering is a sign of God's righteous judgment, this is what he says. He says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, number one, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. It is righteous because by this suffering, Christians are being made worthy for the kingdom of God. You see, our suffering does not aim to ultimately just bring us harm, but our suffering aims to bring out our holiness or to bring us to holiness. It is because we still have this sin nature that God allows us as believers to suffer for the sake of our sanctification. R.C. Sproul would say this, It is righteous for God to consider us worthy of his kingdom for which we suffer because we are in Christ and Christ's worth is ours. Our willingness to suffer for the sake of Jesus then confirms the justice of God's declaration because it demonstrates that we have put our faith in Jesus. This morning again we heard, we heard a bit about, about grace. We heard that we indeed are undeserving sinners. We are undeserving of God's grace, and it must be considered a great honor that God counts us worthy to be saints in his kingdom. Because we are a people, we heard this morning again, of unclean lips, but we also are a people who are following the prince of the power of this age. We are, the peop we are a people who follow the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. We are a people who are perishing, worthy of nothing but death. But God, but God rich in mercy, rich in mercy and great in love, saved us and is saving us from this sin nature. Praise God that there will be a day where we will be free from the presence of sin. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of sin. 
I can't wait for the day where I'll be with my God and I'll be free from the prisons of sin. So, church, we must consider a great honor to suffer for the sake of Christ. When I was typing this out, I, I thought about a soldier, a soldier who's been enlisted to the army. As a soldier has been drafted, he, what, what he already knows and what he's told is that, is that, hey, this task that you have, have signed up for is going to be torturous. Hey, you might even lose your life. This task will be laborious, and yet soldiers consider it a great honor to fight for their country and defend the honor of their flag. Church, I know that it is hard to be light in a darkened world. I know that it is hard to stand firm in the face of rife persecution. I know it is laborious to love your enemies, and I know it's also hard to love those who are even in the household of the faith because we are sinners. Church, I know it is hard work to go against the status quo. It is wearisome to fight the flesh every day. But church, it is a great privilege for us to fight this good fight. You see, one test of authenticity of our faith is our willingness to suffer for Jesus. The question tonight, just as you, as you think about all that I've said tonight, is, is are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus even when you don't know when the suffering will end? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus even if it means you suffer till the day you die? Consider the words from the Apostle Peter. He says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23, For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but he committed himself to God who judges justly. Jesus knew that day is coming. When all who persecute me, I will judge them. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So consider it all joy to suffer for Christ today. That when he comes, you will be full of joy for his glory will be revealed. A commentator notes these words. When suffering is coupled with righteous endurance, God's work is done. The fires of persecution and tribulation were like the purifying fires of a refiner burning away the dross from the gold and bringing forth a pure, precious metal. 
Church, in the midst of your suffering, God is making you more like Christ. But also be encouraged that those who persecute you, God will not turn a blind eye on them, but he will vindicate the righteous. And this leads me to my next point, which is verse 6 to 8. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord. Church, Evil will not prosper forever. Sin will not reign forever. A day of rest is promised to us as believers. We are those who say, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. The suffering we endure as Christians, church, is only momentary. But at his return, Christ will repay his enemies for all the troubles that he has caused his people. But what greater comfort could there be than to know that we will live before the face of God forever? We will be free from sin and all the pain that it causes. Your faith and your patience will be vindicated and, and will be rewarded in the end to the praise of our Father. Matthew Henry would say the future rest will abundantly recompense all the present troubles. The suffering of this present time are not worthy to be com compared with the glory that shall be revealed. There is enough in heaven to countervail all that we may lose or suffer for the name of Christ in this world. So much more. Just be encouraged, Jesus is coming. He is coming, as Paul says, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, sorry, the wrath of God will be revealed on all who are wicked. All who reject Jesus will face his wrath. Those who think today that they can play God, God will reveal them. All the false prophets, all the false teachers, those who claim a religion without faith in Jesus will be condemned for they do not obey the gospel of Christ. But remember as well, that we were told specifically in chapter 4 of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians that even those who practice sexual immorality and those who rob their brother or sister of a virgin spouse will face the vengeance of God if they are outside the forgiveness of God through grace by faith. So be warned. If you have no inclination whatsoever to obey the gospel of Christ, be warned. 
If you never want to walk in the Spirit and are living in constant rebellion to God and His Word, then be warned. Please be warned for you are not showing that there is any fruit of the Spirit in your life. It is possible that you too on that day will fall to the hand of God when his judgment is poured out on the wicked. So my friend tonight, won't you please repent? Repent of your sin and unbelief and please won't you believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul tonight? For tomorrow is not promised to you. See, the gospel demands that you be obedient. The gospel demands fruit of righteous living. It demands a fruit of a hatred of sin and a love for God's word. So again, those who will not believe in it will be punished. Not only for their sins, but for this as their chief and damning fault, that they will not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as is said before them in the gospel. So Paul makes it clear here tonight. Not only is rest and relief promised for the believer, but affliction and vengeance is promised to those who are outside the household of the faith. God will bring about justice in inflicting punishment to all who afflict his flock and have rejected him. So those who mock you for following Jesus, those that look to persecute the church, those that look to bring shame to his name and his people will on that day receive what they rightfully deserve, the full wrath of God. Which is the next point in the sermon. Number three, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Church, the wrath of God is a dreadful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. You see, this truth has been trivialized by Hollywood who portray the devil as the chief in hell with the pitchfork and he allows people to come in and go out as they please. This truth has been trivialized as, the, as, as Hollywood has portrayed hell as a parting place to the point where there are people who are actually willing to go to hell so they don't have to change the way they live today. In fact, hell has been made to seem as an attractive place where people will hang out with their friends and and fulfill the desires of their flesh as they live their best lives without this guilt from this God. But friends, I want you to consider these verses. Proverbs 11 verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but the righteousness... but righteousness delivers from death. Revelation 14, 10 to 11. If anyone worships the beast and the image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. 
They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Zephaniah 1 verse 15 and 18. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Um, Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them. On the day of the Lord's wrath, all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end in a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus in Mark would say, it is better to enter life without an eye, without a hand, without a leg, without a, a member of your body than to be thrown into hell. Isaiah 66 says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Jude 13, those false prophets and rejecters of Christ are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Lastly, Revelation 20. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is no joke. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. This is the justice that God is bringing. Fourth point, sub-point is, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Church, the only reason why we will not suffer this torment is because of Jesus. Because we have placed our faith in Jesus. So that day when Jesus returns, man, he will be glorified and admired by all believers. We will behold his glory and admire it with pleasure. And, and immediately what comes to my mind is, is those cartoons when this cartoon sees the, things that, the thing that it loves and its eyes go as wide as possible. And then you just hear, aww. We will behold with awe and admire our great God. We will admire the wonders of his power and the good and his goodness towards us. 
We will sing praises to the king who has conquered sin. And we will sing Hosanna to the highest. We will shout hallelujah for the work of salvation has been done. I was reminded of the song, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? We will stand in awe of how great and glorious that day would be. When that which is mortal takes on immortality, when we will witness the power of God in punishing sin, when we will witness his righteousness as he pours out judgment justly, we will stand in awe as God finally defeats Satan and all his hosts. We will marvel as, as, he, as he destroys the heavens and the earth and as he creates the new heavens and the earth. We will rejoice when we realize that all sorrow and suffering are no more for sin has been defeated. I was encouraged. I had to include what John says in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, the peoples, the languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, do you look forward to this day? Does your life reflect that of which someone who is eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? So that's why to close, I close with a prayer for endurance. The Apostle Paul ends this letter by saying, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we just bow our heads, I'd like to actually just pray this prayer for us as well. Father, we've seen tonight, or at least tried to paint the picture that God, justice is coming. Jesus is coming and, and all who are wicked will be put to justice. They will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will have to give an account. But God, we thank you that as we too will stand before the throne of God, it is that imputed righteousness of Christ that gives us access into your very throne. That allows us to, to dwell with you for all eternity. That gift of faith that you've entrusted to us. 
But God, we too can know, Lord, if this faith is genuine. Because God, you said you've given us your spirit who will minister in our hearts and the fruit of your spirit is, is to lead us to live in righteousness. So God, I pray that we'd ask ourselves the question tonight. Am I showing evidence of one who believes in Jesus? I pray, God, that you may protect us from placing our hope in sinful men, placing our hope in sinful systems, placing our hope in sinful ideologies or even sinful governments, because, God, our hope is in Jesus. That is where true hope lies, because, God, he is righteous and he is just, he is God. So tonight, Lord, I pray for the church here at Central. I pray, God, that you would make each and every one of us worthy of your calling. I pray, God, that you would help us to fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power. God, we know that if you don't work in our hearts, God, we cannot please you. It is the work of your spirit that helps us to make our work good. For God, in and of ourselves, our work is tainted with sin. So God, help us to do this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us. Lord, I pray that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified here at Central. And I pray, Lord, that we would be glorified in you too. According to your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.